we talked about the fact that your life is a story. You have a story. You're writing pages in your book every day, every single day. And, and if you think about it, your story, your life has a beginning and end. It has action in between the two. It's got a theme uh, that you have created. Hopefully you and the Lord have created. There's a setting. There's characters, right? There may be a few villains in there in your story, right? And so your life is a story. As a matter of fact, every day of your life is a story. There's a beginning, there's an end, there's action. And you get the, the chance to write your story. You get the chance uh, to partner with the Lord and, and, and write your story. We learned that your story is history. If you have a past that is not what you wish it was, that you don't have to live under the weight of that past. You don't have to. It's history. The Lord has literally disregarded it, and he doesn't deal with you according to your past. He deals with you according to what Jesus has done for you, and that's good news. Your story isn't just history. Your story is his story. When he purchased you on the cross, he purchased your story as well. And so he wants to partner with you and allow you to share with others about what he's done in your life. And allow you to help rescue others as you tell your story. And then lastly, we learned that, um, that, that your story is not over, right? As long as there is breath in your lungs, your story is not over. And I encourage you, if your story, you take a step back and you read the book of your life and you're like, man, this thing isn't very good. Well, don't just put it down rewrite the story okay you get a chance to change your story and of course we know that found in the word of god is everything you need to be successful in life so um as uh in between times where church members will be sharing their story um we are actually going to be studying a handful of characters in the bible and we're going to be looking at their story And so, what a wonderful person to start with besides Judas Iscariot, the guy that betrayed Jesus. (laughs) Um, The reason I chose Judas is actually Chance, our youth pastor, who, by the way, go help him sell fireworks in a few weeks, please. Um, Chance said, hey, man, do you think Judas went to heaven or hell? And I was like, that's that's a really good question, and I, I, you know... Gave him a few, a few scriptures, and I'm going to let you answer that question yourself as we tell Judas's story. Um, but but that kind of got me thinking about Judas and got me thinking about his story. And it was amazing to me. Um, the, the story of Judas is really incredible. Let, let me just kind of give you a quick little Reader's Digest version of the, the life of Judas. First of all, if you don't know, Judas, also known as Judas Iscariot, was one of the 12 disciples, one of the original 12 disciples, okay? Uh, Judas was a very popular name back then. As a matter of fact, there was another one of the 12 disciples that was named Judas as well. And one of Jesus' brothers, or half-brothers, because they didn't share the same dad, um, was named Judas as well, okay? So it was a popular, it was like a John or, or a Bill or a Joe, or I mean, it wasn't an uncommon name at all, okay? Um, and so uh, he, he was one of the original 12. He was, tr- he was totally trusted by the others. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll read some of the text in a little bit. And even when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, no one goes, uh-huh, that's what I thought. And looks at not a single one. He was totally trusted by all the, the other disciples. Okay, he, he walked around with the living, breathing Christ. 
Okay, he was with Jesus all the time. So when the blind man was healed, blind Bartimaeus was healed, right? Judas was there. When Jesus walked on the water, Judas was there. When, when he fed the 5,000, he actually used the disciples to break everyone up into groups of 50 or 100. Judas was doing that. Okay, he saw the food multiplied, right? He saw the water turn into wine. He saw all of the, of the miracles that God, that Jesus performed. He was also, um, he was the treasurer for Jesus' ministry. Now, we don't think about this. Sometimes we have this idea that Jesus was like floating through life and never had to deal with real stuff. But he had to pay taxes. No, he did it in crazy ways. There's a story about a fish and gold in his mouth. But he did it in amazing ways. But, but Jesus, in, in some ways, had a very normal life. And so as with any ministry, people supported Jesus, and so someone had to keep up with that. And so, unfortunately, it was Judas. It was Judas who, who, who held on to the money bags, okay, who kept up with everything. And whenever they were traveling and they had to, maybe they had to pay for something, pay for some food, or, or maybe there wasn't a home available, they had to stay in an inn or whatever. It was Judas who would then take the money out and would pay. Okay, he was the one, and he was known among the disciples as the one. If there was a, an errand that needed to be run, Judas would usually take care of it. Okay, so I want you to understand before we get into the ultimate demise of this disciple of Jesus. I want you to understand this wasn't a guy who like hung out on the fringes his whole his whole life. Okay, he was right in the thick of the ministry of Jesus Christ in the flesh. I mean, how cool would that be, right? to be walking with Jesus, to be seeing every... I mean, there were so many more miracles. At the end of one of the Gospels, it says, this is just a little bit of what happened with Jesus. I mean, if we recorded everything, like the whole world wouldn't be able to contain the amount of books it would take. I mean, there was so much more that Jesus did that we don't have record of, but he was there for all of it. Then at the end, within about three years' time, you probably know the story. Judas goes to the temple, to the high priest, and says, what will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? They pay him. We'll talk about that in a little bit. They, they pay him uh, 30 pieces. I don't know if you noticed, we have 30 pieces of silver here this morning. They paid him 30 pieces of silver, and he went back, and he said, whoever I kiss on the cheek, which wasn't weird back then. That was a very common greeting um, to kiss someone on the cheek, and the Apostle Paul actually said, greet one another with a holy kiss, okay? Um, Kissed him on the cheek, and that was the sign to the, the legion to grab this particular guy. There was no internet. There was no newspaper. There was no TV, Right? So they had all heard of Jesus, but they hadn't all necessarily seen Jesus. That's why it required the kiss, okay? So he betrayed Jesus. Afterwards, even before Jesus is dead, um, before he's risen and before it's, it's all finished, he began to feel guilty. He tries to give back the money to the temple, right? And they're like, hey, we... We can't accept this money into the treasury. Now they get all holy, right? They're paying someone to deliver someone for execution. But now, oh, we can't take the money back. It's blood money. It's your blood money, punk. Anyway, so he, uh, 
So, so they say, well, we can't receive it into the treasury as an offering, but what we will do is we're going to purchase a plot of land um, where we will bury foreigners, okay? So people that are traveling in another area, there were no airplanes that couldn't send the body back, right? So they would bury them in this area known as the potter's field. Um, and so, uh, so they took the money back and they bought that cemetery. Judas actually hung himself in that particular place, on that land, and this is kind of gross, I apologize for this. But in Acts, we actually learned that his body, after being hung and up there for a while, fell and pfft, fell, and it was nasty, and they called the, the place the field of blood. Okay, so that's some nice dinner conversation, lunch conversation you all can bring up afterwards as you talk about this. After all that, he was replaced by Matthias, which was the 12th disciple that replaced Judas. And they, they did it in a very funny way. They, they, used, they cast lots, which was essentially like drawing straws. If you've ever drawn straws and whoever had the longest, right? Well, this was more like kind of rolling dice or something. But very unspiritual way to me. Like the disciples were like, well, who should we choose? I don't know. <laughs> you know it's kind of funny to me. But the, the lots fell to Matthias and, and they decided to... Uh, to take him in as one of the original 12, uh, replacing Judas. And that's, in a nutshell, the story of Judas. It starts out kind of good. We don't have record of how he specifically was called to be a disciple, like some of the other ones, like Peter and Andrew and, and those. But we, we do know that he was called by the Lord. We do know that Jesus knew that he would, at some point, knew eventually he would betray him. At one point in the Gospel of John, he says, I've chosen all of you guys, but one of you is a devil. That's not good. You don't want Jesus to call you a devil, just in case you're wondering, okay? It's not, not it's a bad day for you. Um, and so, what happened? That, that's what's interesting to me. Like, here we have a guy that saw things I would sell everything I have in my life uh, to pay to be able to go back and, and sit with Jesus. He saw these things, and yet in the end, he betrayed the Lord. Like, what, what happened? Like, what, how do you get to that point? And so I want to kind of go over with you. I want to talk about three mindsets that we can see in Judas's life that led to his eventual downfall. Three mindsets. Now, I'm going to caution you right now. You and I are going to see ourselves a good bit in these three mindsets. As a matter of fact, you and I have adopted some of these mindsets and are currently operating underneath these attitudes. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean you're a terrible person, but it does mean you need a Savior. And I suspect you know that because you're here. Okay? But we want to... We wanna, we wanna, Talk about these, these three, and there are more, but these are the three I felt led to share on. Three attitudes in Judas' life, three mindsets that led to his downfall that eventually ended in a terrible story. The first one is this, that ministry activity is more important than worship. That should say then than worship. Ministry activity, this was a negative, a wrong mindset that Judas, that Judas took, is that ministry activity, the activity of ministry was more important than ministry, not that, that more important than worship, not that the ministry activity isn't important. Obviously, we need to get on the go. We need to do things, right? 
We need to share our faith. We need to be, you know, pay, pay for the poor, love those that are lost, you know, visit those in prison, all, all the things that Scripture instructs us to do. We do have to do those, but not at the expense of worship. And, I, and I'll explain what this means. So Mark chapter 14, this is a story, and we're going to stay on this story because it really reveals the heart of Judas, and we're going to kind of look at it in a couple of, um, of, of different Gospels each gospel is slightly different. They may tell the same story, but they've got like a, the, the gospel writer's unique perspective, okay? And so it says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy and had been healed by Jesus, and he was eating. A woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. <laughs> she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Now, just so you know, and... and so an alabaster, like a flask like this, would, the only way to get the contents of the perfume was to break it. So there was really no turning back here, okay? Like you can't like pour some out and then stop it up again. Like it, it came, it was really expensive. It was known to be expensive. This is probably a family heirloom that may have been passed down, okay? Um, some of the other uh, gospels say that this was Mary, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you may remember. This is with the Mary from from, from that family, and they were probably financially pretty well off from what we can tell uh, because they had a house that could house the disciples and Jesus, okay? Um, and so, so anyway, so she broke the jar and she poured perfume over his head, okay? And it probably stunk up the place, all right? Maybe in a good way. I don't know. Perfume, a little, you ever been around too much perfume and you got that perfume headache? You know, if I walk in Bath and Body Works for too long, I'm struggling, man. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. It's a little too much for me, okay? But so perfume all over Jesus, okay? Um, all over Jesus. And some of those at the table, we'll see later on that it's Judas, verse 4, some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked, it could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly, like, what are, you, like what, are you, what are you doing? Like, if you really want to help us, give the perfume to us. We'll sell it for a year's wages. Now, let that sink in. A year's wages? The average single income in Thomas County is around $25,000 a year. Okay? So that means... That means that you would know, have to adjust for inflation. It wasn't $25,000 because it would probably be less. But even ten, a $10,000 bottle of perfume, smack, poured over this dude. I mean, that's, I mean, you can understand, like, what are you doing? You just wasted twenty five grand. You just wasted ten grand. whatever it is. It's still a lot of money for perfume. Ladies, come on, don't, don't get any. This is not biblical for you to spend this much money on perfume. It's a reasonable thing, right? To be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? When Jesus steps in, he replies, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. Now, what's interesting here, now, he's not saying you don't help the poor. As a matter of fact, Jesus' ministry helped the poor a lot. He healed people. He did all sorts of good stuff, okay? Uh, he helped the poor, but he was saying there's, even though helping the poor is important, and thank God we do that here at VFC, but there's something even more important. 
There's something even more important. And you shouldn't think that just carrying out the tasks of ministry are more important than sitting at the feet of Jesus himself. Guys, we can't forget that. Look, I'm so thankful for our food pantry. We, we feed thousands and thousands of people annually here. It's pretty crazy for a church our size to be able to feed as many people as we do. It's awesome. And it's because of, of your gifts to the church. It's, it's, it's wonderful, okay? But don't think that that's what puts you in right standing with God. You, you, you can't stand in front of God at the end of your life and say, but Lord, I gave money to the food pantry at BFC. That, that doesn't, it's a good work. It's, you should do that, but it, it's, it's not what makes your relationship with God right. But Lord, I know all the words to the new song that Blake introduced this morning, and I sung on key. Hey, I'm glad you sang that. That's wonderful, but that's not what makes you right with God. Okay, Your personal, intimate relationship with the Lord is what is most important. And they, especially Judas, had forgotten that. We read on, Jesus continues, he says, She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now, this, is, this is pretty amazing. Now, just think about this for a second. How many of you have heard the story of the lady breaking the alabaster jar and pouring it on Jesus before, before, before this morning? Okay, yeah, most of you, okay. So most of you have heard this story before. Jesus, now get this, Jesus predicted that. Now get this, they're in Bethany. Where is Bethany? They're in a city called Bethany, in a home. There's only a handful of people there. This lady breaks a flask of of, of fragrant oil, of perfume, pours it on Jesus, and he goes, oh, you know, in years later when the whole world knows about me, they're going to remember this lady. That's amazing. That is incredible. What a prediction. I mean, that in itself proves the supernatural ability of the Bible. There is a prediction that you can see that Jesus himself made that you all would know about the lady with the alabaster jar, and you do. Isn't that crazy? Okay, that's just like, that not even thing to do with the sermon, but I just think it's cool. All right, so we need to, we need to make sure... We need to make sure that we don't think ministry activity is more important than worship. And I don't just mean worship music. I mean a heart of worship. See, worship is not waste. Worship is not waste. There is a Judas mentality that permeates the church these days. It's a pseudo-religious idea, and it looks at worship, acts of worship, even, even sound systems for musical worship or buildings that point to the beauty and the grace of God. And it says, this is a waste of money. This is a waste of time. It's not productive enough. It's productive because it's showing a heart of throwing everything away for the sake of the one that we love. Have y'all, y'all have heard of Hillsong, um, Hillsong Church in Australia. They, we sing some of their songs, and they're pretty well known across the globe. Their church in Sydney actually has won many awards for being the most beautiful building in the entire area. Now, some would say, what a waste of money. That, instead of making your building pretty, you could have just used cinder blocks, and you could have given all that money to the poor. Well, the two aren't mutually exclusive. You don't have to choose between honoring God and worshiping God with your stuff 
and giving stuff away to the poor. Do you see how that works? And I love their mentality, and they've been interviewed, and you can look it up. I encourage you, you can Google and see the building and stuff. And, and, and they, they get a lot of grief for it. Like, why did you spend so much on such a beautiful building? And their answer is because God's worth it. Because we, we, want, we want people to pass by and think, holy moly, that's incredible. Who do they worship? And I know for some of you, that uh, kind of messes with you a little bit. Look, don't adopt a Judas mentality. I understand. I'm all about being a good steward, okay? Believe me. We, 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 we like to tighten up our budget around here and make sure that we... It, it, look, when we buy anything here at the church, we know that it's the goodwill offerings. People haven't given to a building. They haven't given to me or staff. They're given to God. We know that, and we take it very seriously. But we got to get this Judas mentality out out that says, well, anything that's worship, it's just not, it, you know, this isn't productive enough for the kingdom. Look, sitting at the feet of Jesus is the most productive thing you can do. The most productive thing that you can do for your spiritual life and then as you grow eventually for everyone you come in contact with. Amen? So we don't want to adopt, we don't want to adopt that mentality. Here's, here's another one that Judas had. The love of money, right? Oh my gosh, this one was all over him. The love of money. Um, if we look at, um, at John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 6. So this is at the end. It's the same story. It's, in, it's according to the, the, uh, the gospel of John instead of uh, the gospel of Mark that we looked at. But, so at the end, so this is, you know, same thing. She broke the alabaster jar, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume, so this account actually tells on Judas. Okay, John tells on Judas. and says, well, it wasn't just some people, it was Judas. That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Verse 6, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Ew. What kind of huevos do you have to have to steal from Jesus? Oh my gosh. That's crazy, right? It's like people are giving in. I mean, he's healing people. He's obviously the Messiah, the campground where Peter says, You are the Messiah, the Christ. Judas was there, okay? And he's like, I think I might steal from the Son of God. He won't know. Right, right. Good decision, Judas. The love of money, I need you to hear this. Judas had the love of money in his heart. The love of money, it leads to the desire to control money. To control money. It says, I can do better than someone else can. When, 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 um, and, and we have an open door policy here with our finances. You, I mean, we can, we're supposed to have a budget out there we need to get to where everyone can see it. But, we, you know, it's, it, it's common knowledge how we spend money here. And, and we, we want to be accountable, right? We totally want to be accountable. But, like... Sometimes, every once in a while, someone's like, well, you should be doing this and this and this and this and this and this. And look, we're cool with opinions. Like, it's awesome. Tell us. We'd love to hear feedback, all that kind of stuff. But at some point, if you're trying to control money, it's because you have love of money in your life. Even in your own personal finances, for, forget church. or like, If in your own personal finances, if you, if, you, uh, if you ask yourself, do I love money? Ask yourself, do you control money? No, I'm not talking about good stewardship. I'm, I'm not talking about balance, taking care, being a good steward. I'm talking about control. 
Are you mad at how other people spend their money? Do you look at how other people spend their money? You think, oh, you might have love of money in your heart. Some of y'all are laughing because you know it's true. Right? Come on. Look, the love of money leads to the desire to control money, and the desire to control money leads to obsession with money. And obsession with money leads to the worship of money. This is a very, very real danger. A very real danger in the life of the believer. First Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 10 has a very stern warning, and this is one of several in Scripture. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it doesn't say money is the root of evil. It says the love of money. Money is important. It's a tool. It's a way that you get stuff done. Okay? It's, it's neutral. It can be used for good things or for bad things. Okay? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, now listen to this. This is a warning. I love you. I'm sorry. i got to tell you this. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Whoa. Wandered from the true faith. That's like worst case scenario. Wandering is when you don't know you're leaving. But because of the craving and the love and the lust and the obsession, the desire to control money, they simply over time wander away from the true faith. Look, the United States is one of the most affluent countries in the entire world. This is where we live, you guys. Look, we, we, we should regularly, on a regular basis, ask the Holy Spirit, please show me if love of money gets in my heart. It didn't work out so well for Judas. It didn't work out so well for these people that, that uh, the Apostle Paul is referencing when he writes Timothy. And it won't work out well for you. It won't work out well for me. We have to make sure that our good stewardship doesn't turn into worship of money. Check this out. Let's turn to Mark. Back to Mark's account of the gospel. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we're just going to read verses 10 and 11 here. This is, again, after... The same anointing with the perfume. Verse 10, after he saw two things. First of all, the waste of money, and he didn't like it. And after Jesus said, she anointed me for my burial. In other words, I'm going to die, right? Then, verse 10, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. The love of money was one of the main things that led Judas to do what he did. Okay? Money had a role. Now, I was talking about this with Tiff last night. Like, if Judas was just hacked at Jesus and wanted to get him in trouble, he didn't have to get paid for that. Did he? He could have just turned him in. He could have betrayed him with a kiss without receiving any money. Right? But he chose, he chose to do that. He was given 30 silver coins. Now, this, this, here's 30 silver coins right here. We, I've got i got silver coins and stacks of 10. This is my end of the world stash. This is my Mad Max currency, okay? So some of you guys, I know y'all, some of you are like, have like arsenals in case like <laughs> the world like erupts into whatever, right? And then some of you are like growing your own. Yeah, y'all like looking around at each other. Some of you have like, you're, you like grow your own vegetables and fruit. Like, so here's the deal. If like we're like, if it's Thunderdome all over again, okay? 
and it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic world. I've, I've got the currency, okay? Uh, I'm going to need some of your guns and your vegetables. All right, so this is how this is going to work. Y'all looking at me like I'm serious. I'm just joking around. What does he know? Has he heard that the world? No, I'm just, I just, I bought some silver, okay? It was just, I felt like it was a good investment, okay? <laughs> I need to learn to garden, sweetheart. We need land. Okay, I'm just saying, all right, I'll, if you'll supply the guns, I'll supply the silver coins, okay? Just, we'll make that deal. All right. <laughs> he was paid 30 silver coins. Now, it's worth around 500, 600 bucks is what 30, 30 silver pieces is worth. Back then, even if you adjust for inflation, it's probably worth a lot more. It's probably maybe a few thousand is what it was worth. But come on. To betray Jesus for this? Seriously? How warped in your mind do you have to be to think this is a worthy exchange for the blood of Jesus? I'm telling you guys, we have to watch out for this. This is right where we live. Here's the last thing that we see in the life of Judas. That Jesus will promote my agenda. That's a mindset that Judas had. Jesus is going to promote my agenda. If you turn to John chapter 13, we're going to read the the moment where he begins the process of betraying Jesus. John 13, we're just going to read this. I'm not saying these things. This is Jesus talking. He just said all this stuff about like, you know, you're going to do wonderful things. You know, all these wonderful things are going to happen. I'm going to go. Verse 18, but I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I've chosen. In other words, I know your hearts, every single one of you. This fulfills scripture that says, the one who eats my food is turned against me. I tell you this beforehand. So that what happens, you'll believe that I'm the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. Anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father. And then verse 21, Jesus was deeply troubled. All right, he was like ugly crying, freaking out. Like this is like, I mean, the word kind of like deeply troubled. I mean, I'm deeply troubled, right? He was like, he was just at the end of his rope. He was just totally beside himself. And he exclaimed, that means yelled, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, exclamation point. Imagine Jesus just sobbing and yelling out, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at each other wondering who he can mean. They didn't all think Judas, they trusted Judas. After all, he, he did the money for us, right? The disciple Jesus loved, that's how John referred to himself was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned, who's he talking about? (laughs) Peter's like, I don't want to ask him. You're closer, John, (laughs) right? You ask him. And so John leans over and says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responded to John, just to John. It's the one whom I give the bread after I dip it in the bowl. And so he took bread, he dipped it, and he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, now, it's as Satan entered him. You have a choice. Judas had a choice. I, I don't believe there's some theologians who believe that Judas was predestined before the, the time of the earth to betray Jesus. I, I don't believe that. I believe Judas had a choice. I know Jesus had to be crucified, but he, but, and, and he had to be betrayed because we saw that in prophecy, okay? But it didn't have to be Judas. I don't believe that. I believe that someone else would have gladly betrayed Jesus. As much as he was loved, he was hated. He had a choice. I believe that was, I believe, why did Jesus dip the bread? Why did he offer, why did he give them the choice to receive it or not? 
It was his choice. And when Judas ate the bread, Satan entered into him. And then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. No one else, none of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Again, they still they don't get it. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. He gave to the poor. Verse 30, so Judas left at once going out into the night. And that was the beginning of the end of Judas. Now, this is interesting. So the last name is Scariot, and this is the last thing. This is the last thing I'm going to share with you. Judas probably believed that the Jewish Messiah was going to overthrow Roman occupation. Okay? At the time, Rome was... Uh, was occupying Jerusalem, okay? It'd be like if China or Russia all of a sudden landed in the United States and took over. And like we see Russian guards and Chinese guards all over and we can't, we're like, we have to start paying them taxes and follow their laws, okay? That was the situation they were in. It was, but it was Roman law. So they believed that the Jewish Messiah that they'd read about in the Old Testament was going to free them from the Romans. And there was actually a group called the Sicarii, and you can read about this, the, the Sicarii that a lot of people think Judas may have been part of, which was a revolutionary political group that used violence to over, that wanted to use violence to overthrow the Roman government. And this would be just in the very beginnings of this because they really came out after the time of Jesus. Judas probably hoped to benefit from his association with Jesus as the new reigning political power. He probably expected to be among the ruling elite after the revolution where Jesus overcame the Romans. By the time of Judas' betrayal, though, Jesus had made it clear that he was planning to die. He was talking about being anointed for burial, not start a rebellion. So Judas may have assumed that since he wasn't going to overthrow the Romans, he must not be the Messiah. Let's get this guy out of here. Or... Maybe he was attempting to force Jesus' hand by betraying him and saying, Look, okay, you, you, you think you want to die? Okay, I'm, I'm going to make you come face to face with the Romans. And he tried to coerce Jesus into a political battle. Do we do that? Come on. Do we have our own agenda? And we're trying to attach Jesus' name to it? I, I think sometimes we do. I mean, Jesus himself warned against the leaven or the active ingredient of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and of Herod. The left, the right, and politics. <laughs> Step on your toes. I mean, we don't, Jesus is the agenda. We bend our agenda to him. We don't use his name to somehow prop up our agendas. Because that's what Judas was doing. And he was trying to use Jesus for his own political gain. And we see where it got him. Look, we don't want Jesus to promote our agenda. We want to promote the agenda of Jesus. He's the purpose. He's the reason. He's the one we live for. We don't live for something else and ask him to bless it. We live for him, and then we are blessed. Amen? Look, here's, here's, here's my final question. It was the same one last week. Are you willing to surrender your story? Judas wasn't willing to surrender his story. He wasn't willing to change these mindsets, these attitudes. Are you willing to surrender your story, past, present, and future to God? It's a question only you can answer. And I encourage you, don't let these mindsets, these attitudes that we see in Judas's life, don't let them creep into yours. Please don't. Don't let them creep in, okay? Let's stand for prayer.